Disclaimer. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the Bogside and Brandywell Health Forum. They're really non-judgmental creatures, so I can go up there, they don't care what car I'm driving, where I live, where I come from, what clothes I'm wearing, what my hair's like. They just accept me for me. And the more authentic and genuine we can be about ourselves, the more the horses accept us. Right, so make sure we're recording, which we are. Um, Kevin, say some stuff. Some stuff. Some right. stuff. Some um, stuff. Some stuff. So do you want to kick us off? Right. Um, so welcome to the first episode of the Community Soapbox. Today our guest will be Louise Murhead, who is an equine therapist, and we just want to get to know Louise as much as we possibly can about equine therapy. I'm delighted to be the first guest on your podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I just hope I can do uh, justice today. That's right. We'll make sure to <laughs> let you know if you have or not. Thanks. <laughs> um, Louise, so equine therapy, to me, it was amazing to hear about it. Um, because obviously working with the Right Time, Right Place project, where I'm with quite a few therapists, equine was new to me. A hundred percent new to me. most people. Uh, Ten years later, it's still new to most people. So. <laughs> do you want to talk to us a wee bit about the process? What goes on? Um, well, a lot of the time, just like yourself, people don't really have any background or maybe they haven't been around horses before so it can be a nerve-wracking experience initially um i hope that i make their introduction a wee bit easier and we really just engage with the horses on the ground uh learn about them learn the similarities between humans and horses as well as the many differences so it's a real experiential learning experience and we spend time outside in nature uh, and beautiful surroundings. I mean, look at the hills of Donegal on one side. We're just a few minutes from the city centre, so it's really handy, you know, for people to get there and stuff. And uh, it's just a really unique experience. It's very hard to describe Aye. the experience of it. It's one of them things where until you give it a go yourself, you'll, you can't really fully understand because it is such a visceral experience. You know, you're invoking a lot of emotions sometimes. It can be about the nerves, about a hesitation. But once people kind of settle in and get to know the horses and maybe some over gentle over-the-door interactions, some field observations, they quickly learn that they really are just big, gentle giants and they have their own unique, like ourselves, their own unique personalities and individual likes and dislikes. So what might work with one horse, how we approach one horse might work with another so they give us instant feedback about non-body or body language through non-verbal communication so if you go up to a horse and you're feeling your energy's off maybe you've had a bad day you're stressed out um feeling angry the horse is picking up on that thinking i don't think i want to be around you today and they just like none of our horses they're they're all kind of at liberty so they just walk away Uh and until you kind of Notice that and regulate yourself uh, and try again. You'll still get the same results. As in life, you know, do something again and again and again without getting results. Um, So it's really learning in the moment and learning through that experience and building a really great relationship. 
That's amazing. I've had the pleasure of being up Aye, at the farm just to see Aye. what was going on up there. And I remember I didn't go through the therapy at all. I mm. just went up to see what was going on. And I left feeling lighter. And that was Aye. just from being around the animals. Aye. And um, It's lovely up there. But I had one client in particular who massively reaped the benefits of the therapy. Mm. Um, this is somebody who was walking about with walking aid and by the end of it even that was used less but the colour on his face had changed completely um, so I've seen the benefits on that side of it um, what what sort of client would you work with what's what's the type of person that would come through your well first of all they need to be animal lovers right. I always say horses are kind of like marmite either you love them you hit them, you're all on, you're all out. And usually within the first 10 minutes, you know, people go, this is for me, it's not for me. Um, so I, animal lovers, anybody that has maybe doesn't really feel like they're ready to engage in talk-based therapies, I mean, this is a non-talking approach to mental health. Um, I have qualifications and skills to support somebody. If they want, did want to disclose something personal, we can process and work through that. But primarily it is a non-talking therapy. Um, we do a lot of walking, so people would need to have a certain level of physical ability to be outside. Um, it's all, all year round, so um, maybe some resilience in the, in the weather, especially in the winter. It's, uh, it can be hard going at times. Uh, it's you know, a psychological battle being outside anyway, you know, um, in Irish winters, let alone halfway up a mountain and... <laughs> in Derry so I think two people that are kind of a bit introverted mm. maybe shy people that can be brought out of their shell a wee bit um, I've, like you said you notice physical improvements you know even in body language people can come up you know and they're just shut down like humped shoulders head down not really engaging too much in the relationship with others and through the horses and being outside and you know, but a psychoeducation, like we talk a lot about the horse, like equine psychology, and human psychology, and, and how they overlap. Um, so for people that can only learn in a different way about themselves, I think this is a, a great intervention. Uh, relatively new to the island of Ireland, mm. however, well, formally, you know, right, people uh, have been getting equine therapy for free for years, you uh, know, through uh, equestrianism and, and the sport. Um, but I think now this is kind of takes a different sort of different viewpoint in horses, how we approach them um, as sentient beings. You know, they have emotions and feelings themselves. So being understanding of that and maybe treating them with a bit more empathy and, mm. and compassion. Um, so kind of people that align with those sort of viewpoints and values. Um, I don't think anybody coming up that just sees a horse as another animal that can be, you jump on its back and ride it around mm. for your own pleasure, um, although there's many benefits to that too, but I think it's having the right attitude towards the animal yeah. um, can really foster a healthy attitude in ourselves, about ourselves and each other. Mm. Um, so uh, there's a lot of learning and maybe a lot of relearning. Of, um, for example, people would come up thinking uh, horses are going to kick them or they're going to bite them. Maybe they had a bad experience or they heard of a bad experience and them kind of stereotypes or negative misconceptions or quickly quickly dissipate when they realise how 
gentle and calm and, and loving and kind they are. So I, it's a really refreshing kind of viewpoint to be sharing with people. Yeah, yeah. That's powerful. I, th- I think what jumps out at me is the fact that it is a non-talking therapy and a lot of people don't realise that that's even an option oh. because once you hear therapy, you think sitting down and having a conversation with somebody. I'm going to pick your brain and your uh, soul apart uh, to tell me everything about uh, yourself. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. So it's a, it's a lovely approach. Um, you mentioned there that the horses have different personalities up on the farm. Uh, Do you want to talk? Is there, is there uh, anyone that sticks out to you? Any wee horse that, that jumps out to you when oh you think about God. it? Well... The I know there's Shetland. a tiny, tiny, oh there, here we go, baby, baby. Baby. my little boy, <laughs> so his name's LB, Right. and whenever I first got him, I shouldn't really be saying this because he's so sweet and gentle and uh, loving now, but whenever he first came into my life, he was not so sweet and right. loving, so it took a long time to kind of develop that relationship, and it took for me to think about, you know, how to think outside myself and the has we word, so because he is so small, I was thinking, his viewpoint of the world, although they can see in almost 360 degrees, like he is at a like height disadvantage. So he was just seeing like legs and stuff. And because horses, you know, they can pick up our facial expressions. So there's scientific research now to show horses can pick up um, smiling expressions and angry expressions. And they actively seek out people who have more pleasant smiley faces than, than angry uh, sad, sad kind of faces so um, I got down to his level and spent a lot of time kind of on my honkers kind of petting at him and baby talk apparently scientific research says they love baby talk right. uh-huh. so I was doing my coochie coos and the little <laughs> the little bee beep you uh-huh. see a little beep turned on to just the sweetest little boy LB's little beep he used to be a little beep but he's not <laughs> a little good. beep anymore he's a little a wee sweetheart uh, uh, um, and I, I know I took him down to my garden. My dream, and I think every horsey girl's dream, is to have their horses out the back. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, I'm a city slicker. I don't live <laughs> in the country. I don't come from a farming <laughs> background. So my dreams came true a couple of summers ago for one day only on a miniature scale where I took LB down to the garden. Uh-huh. And he just per- he d- ate all the grass. Lovely. Did the edges perfectly <laughs> and then really highlighted how much weeds are in the lawn. So <laughs> it should have lasted, the, the grass should have lasted him maybe 36 hours. Right. 12 it was gone. He was just gobbling it up. Hungry. He was like a wee. Hungry little bee. Uh, hungry little <laughs> 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 He was like a wee lawn where I was joking with the neighbours saying I'll rent him out. He's kind of a, go around all the houses. Uh, but I, he's, um, he's a wee character now. Uh, so fun. Like they all have their own personalities. Um, and then you've got the other end of that spectrum, Buddy. He's, we had a birthday party for him recently. It was great. All his VIP family and friends came. Horse and there was DJ. cake. Oh, there, was, there was music with the uh, band from the uh, High End Dead. Uh, um, oh, they were brilliant. Uh, so they came and performed. And it was just a great family day. We saw them happy birthday. <laughs> and I was so different. Like they went to kind of like <laughs> crazy looks. I got uh, having a birthday party for a horse. <laughs> Ordering the cake. What is it? Happy birthday, buddy. Can you put a picture of the black horse on it? <laughs> but I think people are just getting used now to me, eccentric ways. Uh, so uh, um, it was brilliant. It was a great day. You know, and uh, one of the Northwest Spectrum members, Tori, if we've been having, this is an annual thing, we've been having buddy's birthday since he was 18. Um, Tori had never accepted a birthday party invitation before. And she came up with her granny and mommy. 
and sat around, had cake around the table. And for that, for as a family, that was quite a profound moment. You know, she has never accepted a human's birthday invitation or birthday party invitation, uh, but she came to buddies. So it just shows you the impact that he has in the lives of people, especially, you know, because horses are such sensory animals. I think they really blend with uh, autistic people well because they're also like highly sensory, uh, you know, process their senses mm. um, very acutely, similar to horses, you know. So I think the environment of being around them really suits the autistic brain as well. But that for me was just a magic moment, you know. Uh, it was a real highlight. There's the it, reward. You know, in, in uh. 10 years that will stand out as a, as a magic moment because of the impact that it had, not only in on Tory, but her, her mommy and granny too. I mean, they were just uh, chuffed butts. Uh, you know, so it just shows you the, the impact that these animals have on, on humans. It's amazing. Mm. What you've alluded there, we'll come back to the Northwest spectrum as well in a moment. Um, but what I wanted to touch on was, you mentioned it as like a childhood dream, having uh, LB in the garden. So yes. would you say that this all began at a very young age then, the one? Do age seven. Horse, age seven. So we know the exact age. Oh, I'll never forget the first <laughs> right. moment that I seen yeah. somebody on horseback going over a jump, taking the horse over a jump. And I was thinking, "What? Well, like, how do you do that? How does that?" And I remember asking, "How did you? Like, how did you do that? How did you make the like? What happened?" She said, "She it was such a simple answer. Oh, you just point them at it and and ride them on." I was like, "Point them at it, and they and they just jump themselves, not understanding you know the partnership that it takes." Um, and when you ride on a horse's back, I mean, you're using your whole body to communicate, sometimes in really subtle ways. I mean, do you ride a horse effectively? If you look at dressage, for example, I mean, it looks like the riders aren't even moving mm. and the horses are doing all these fancy poses themselves. But it's such, if you ever watch a fly land on a horse's back, their whole body shudders. Right there. Fly lands, I may don't even feel it. So their sense of touch uh. is highly, highly sensitive. So they ride on a horse's back. It is kind of really soft, gentle, non-communication, like gentle hands, gentle legs. Um, you're using your seat, your back, even the direction of your head can influence the balance. And it is all about balance and harmony and uh, cooperation and like, teaching and learning together. So from that moment then, I was like, I have to try this. And it was actually it's primary school week here when it started. So I would have been going for weekly lessons then, two, three times a week uh, until the pleasure of owning my own horse at age 10. And then it's just quickly escalated from there. So um, I have a saying for parents, if you, want, uh, if you don't want your children to take drugs, buy them a horse. It's the most expensive <laughs> addiction in the world. <laughs> but the, the healthiest one, you know, the things I've learned about myself and the friendships that I've made through horses. Um, I mean, it's it's a unique experience and such a sense of community as well. Mm. Like most of my great friends are, are horsey friends, like a like sisterhood almost. Not the horses, but people involved with the horses. The community as well. Uh, you know, uh, I think if you're going to have a real lifelong friendship, yeah. you have to have similar interests. And this is, it's kind of like a lifestyle. Uh, you know, it's not a hobby that you can pick up and drop or come up every couple of weeks or something. It's a full-time dedication. Uh, and when you have friends, then you can help each other, you know. Because yeah. it is hard work. I mean, it's manual labour. It's oh, uh. physically demanding. Um, as in life, you know, 
horses come and, and take sick and you have to deal with illnesses and death. So mm. it's uh, it's hard too sometimes, you oh know, right. it's, it's an emotional roller coaster, but these are the things that you have to deal with, you know, mm. and, and care for the animal, you know, if anything happens. So it's a big responsibility as well, not something that anybody that owns a horse takes lightly. Well, yeah. owns a horse, right? People own horses, that uh. same as any animal. But they be dedicated to an animal takes a uh, lifelong commitment. You can ask my husband. Yeah. <laughs> he knows the priorities. <laughs> <laughs> but I have my horse. That's, that's what, what I always say. You know, I have my horse body 14 years now. Uh-huh. I know him longer than I know my husband. So that's, that's right. the, where the priorities lie, too, uh-huh. I'm afraid. And is he aware of that? The husband? <laughs> he, uh, he was well aware of what he married, you know. Um, uh, he calls me a farmer. You know, I think um, now I get stuck on maybe more than more than him sometimes. Uh, very good. I think it's amazing the way you've been able to take like a passion for horses from such a young age and, and make a career out of that, basically. But not only that, but it's a career built on helping people, and you must get great satisfaction from that. I do, I do, and I didn't. You know, whenever I did my psychology and counselling and communication. Uh, degrees. I wasn't even thinking about horses helping people. I was just thinking about the traditional, you know, go with the flow, room-based talking therapies, and that's kind of the direction I was going until I just was thinking to myself, I, I don't want to be stuck in a room like this, you know, trying to help people. There's, there must be a better way to engage and build a therapeutic relationship than sitting talking through things. I mean, it's quite hard to verbalise your feelings and emotions sometimes. Um look at people who have experienced significant trauma um, and it is like an emotional um, really visceral experience um, so it's kind of thinking you know what they always say you know what's your best career what you study what you love and your passion and I was thinking I would love to be doing like well-being retreats outside in nature and I was thinking you know if you brought horses on like people love animals and there's so much learning and therapeutic benefits and we were actually away for a weekend and there was no internet or really remote from the outside world. And I was have, asking myself, no time to think and have existential conversations about me, what direction I was going in life and what I wanted to do. And I was thinking, I could use horses as, as the, in therapy. And I was saying, Fergal, I've come up with, I've coined a term and I've come up with the, the best, I saw like, the best idea ever. And he just looked at me and he was like, right, okay, I, great. And it was the more I thought about it, the more I was convincing myself that this was going to be amazing. Yeah. So first thing I did when I got near a computer was Google horses as like in therapy. Millions of results. It's happening all over the world. <laughs> it's happening in America, all over Europe. It's like mainstream. It's prescribed on the German health service. This is 10 years ago. So yeah. it just shows you how we're not really progressive here. Um, so then, obviously, the next step was I need to get trained in this. I need to find out everything I can. I need to like research this, and this has to happen. And at the time, nothing was happening in the island of Ireland. People were doing riding for the disabled, you know, the benefits of therapeutic horseback riding, uh, but nothing for psychotherapy or anything in the realms of mental health. So I was Googling, and there was maybe two, three different providers, not as many as what there are now, um, and I really like the ethos of the AGALA model, which is the Equine Assisted Growth and Learning Association. 
um, and they were founded in America, running for like 25 years when I came across them. So well behind the times, but we got there eventually and emailed them. And I was saying, you know, this is amazing. There's nothing in Ireland um, if you ever come, because they were doing it worldwide. I mean, they were training in 50 countries, um, uh, but maybe just not had the interest here yet. Um, and, and studied that then a couple of years later. They did come here and trained in that model f- over the course of two years and have really, like, that's the foundation now of my practice. Mm-hmm. Obviously, as you get more experience um, and learn more about your like, my career uh, and different training and stuff, that's been enhanced. So the Agala model is the framework that we have kind of built on then to create our own model of practice now, I suppose. So... Um, kind of working closely now with Dr. Hugh Quigley, who's my clinical supervisor. Um, I think there's such an interest and a need and a growing demand for this service, so um, I don't want to just keep all the learning to myself, so I want to kind of share this with others now, and, you know, I don't want to be, I think there's maybe a handful of us in the whole in the whole island that yeah. practices, so I think it's time that we kind of get this flowing a, a bit more mainstream. So, uh, I mean, although this was happening worldwide, this happening here now is still groundbreaking because it's not it's something so that we new. had here Aye. and it is new. How do, you, how do you find navigating that, the fact that it isn't something you can just go, oh, there's a model down the street that can have Aye. a look at. I mean, you're sort of running, you're like trying it out here. And you, uh, um, no, don't get me wrong, it's been challenging. Mm. I wanted to do the work and we had it set up a community interest company to get a wee bit of that initial support from community funders because there just wasn't that interest, you know, and I have a thing where I don't want people, I want the service to be free. I think everybody should avail of it without having to dip their hands into their own pockets, like in Germany. Um, it's been uh, it, it's been challenging, but look, it's all learning. So every kind of setback or knockdown, you learn from it, you move on. Um, I'm very strong-willed, so okay. uh, if you tell me, no, I can't do something, I think I can, I'll just continue to row my own boat, you know, I'm, uh, I've got, it's been, had a lot of criticism over the years, I mean, imagine 10 years ago, standing up in Derry talking about, I think horses can really help people's mental health, uh, like mental health was still a bit of a taboo topic, uh, there was a major stigma attached, even um, talking therapies, like people were just really reluctant to engage. So then, for somebody to start talking about horses, it was just like, oh my god, you know. And I remember like that pit, you know, and the got it like the pit of anxiety and the pit of my stomach going to talk to you know stand up at the talk do public talks and funding talks, and I was just thinking, this is just this is hot. That was the hardest part for me, kind of getting not convincing people, but highlighting the impact of this. Yeah. And I think just with the more time and. It, the more experience I got and the more people we were engaging with, the more kind of evidence was gathering up and testimonial feedback. And mm-hmm. like the Bogside and Brandywell Health Forum were the first community group to kind of, well, Michaela O'Hagan was the kind of, because I was badgering her, what do you hear here? I've come up with a, the best idea. <laughs> did it, it told her all about it. And she said, I can, she was the first, she was one of the only people that go, I can see how that can work. Right. So we actually piloted the idea whenever we were established then, to Geller for Mentoring Minds, and we're actually still doing Mentoring Minds. So the people that have kind of supported us from the start continue to support us, and then there's people who we've met along the way that are 
converted. They've Very seen nice. uh, they've seen the benefits. They've heard about it. Um, like yourself, Kevin, I invited you out to the stables, yeah. you and your colleagues, so you could kind of get first-hand experience. Because when you go and speak to your clients, it's important for you to kind of have that background. I mean, yeah. if you were talking about equine therapy, we were seeing the stables and the, the yard. And can, it, it's an impo- uh, it's impossible. Yeah. And w- you don't do it justice. Yeah. And I think it's, that's where maybe I was going wrong for years, trying to convince people, oh, I'm like if people are going to engage, they're going to engage. So when I stopped doing that, when I took my foot off the gas, I noticed that it was kind of happening more organically. Right, uh, Funders, you know, with the success of some projects and sending back the reports and uh, were, were appropriate photographs and some of the artwork that we create too because we use creative expression and a lot of work in nature in addition to being around the horses. And they were like, this is great. So... A lot of funders then kind of got behind us and supported us and it allowed us to kind of reach out to the community a bit more. I think it shows as well too, over that period of time, you've been able to build up that evidence now rather than you just like, telling people and... Banging on about it. Uh, yeah, like you've been able to showcase now mm, the difference it can make uh, for people. Uh, I suppose one thing that would interest me is the, the people that will present to you for equine therapy mm-hmm. as they're like an average time it takes for them to go through it or is it, does it really depend on the individuals? It really much? depends on the person. So um, we did four-hour workshops um, for young people and we administered the Warwick Edinburgh Mental Wellbeing questionnaires at the start and at the end and we noticed like 90% improved their mental wellbeing after four hours. So just, just four hours show, alone? Just right? four hours and there's loads that I'm not going to bang on about the theoretical. If Michaela was here, we would definitely be getting more drawn to the science. Right. But I'm going to keep this more kind of social <laughs> so, and um, uh, a bit more lighthearted today. But it's all they do. You know, we're regulating with a horse. You know, they breathe slower than us. Um, their hearts beat slower than ours. So when we're in their space and around their energy, all our stress and anxiety levels are starting to reduce. And it's all to do with that biofeedback and, you know, the co-regulation of being around um, animals. And that's the non-scientific version of that? That's me, that's me <laughs> simplifying it. Yeah. So a lot of the time, <laughs> I have to, because I love science, I'm a bit of a, yeah. bit of a nerd. <laughs> and so I read the scientific, like the theoretical research, and then I have to tell a friend of mine so she can... Convert it under layman's terms, <laughs> right. so she uh, almost can kind of does like uh, a con- like a conversion uh, of I uh, the, the the scientific blab. Uh, <laughs> um, we talked about there, or you, you sort of mentioned the northwest spectrum. Yes, we just wanted to know a wee bit about that and uh, what your role as alongside the northwest spectrum. What what is it that you do there? I uh, so I. Like I said, this has been a equine therapy has been a slow burner. So although we've been doing it for ten years, we're still operating on a part time basis due to a lot of issues, funding, access to space, and just maybe not having enough equines to support a full time, um, full time clients because they are very much part of the team. So they also need their days off and break and respite. They have to be horses too. So. I don't want to flood them with too much yeah. work. Um, so I also work part-time in the Gashard Development Trust where I coordinate their autism services. So we would provide uh, creative arts opportunities for autistic children and young people 
and more recently working with the Northwest Spectrum members who are a group of uh, young adults uh, who are all autistic but have their own unique creative uh, creative uh, expertise. So Tori, who I discussed earlier, who uh, came to the birthday party, um, she's an, an amazing artist. If anybody wants to look up her work on Facebook, Art by Tori. Um, and since working with, with Tori, I mean, she's doing art demonstrations, art master classes. She gives back to younger autistic children at family events. So they're creating programs to give back, um, give back to their local community. Uh, Lee did a creative writing class through Bluebell Arts and has unlocked a, a love and a real talent for poetry. Mm. So at every opportunity, we we go to public events does, and we link on with Derry City Council Disability Awareness Week and he reads out his poems and it's always um, very, uh, just an amazing reception, like very warm welcoming from from members of the public who uh, maybe have misconceptions about autistic people. You know, there's a lot of negative stereotypes and we kind of only flip that around and showcase the talents and you know, unique communication styles of autistic people. Uh, like David, he's uh, an amazing photographer and some of his work, you know, so we're seeing the world through his eyes. Um, Helen, who's one of the new members, she's loves singing and performing. Uh, Catherine's an actor. Um, and Kelly is an amazing uh, creative writer. So at every opportunity, we put on exhibitions um, and in, in addition to that, they come every week up to the farm. So that's a place where we can get creative and consult and kind of they are inspired to create programs then that uh, they keep me busy. They tell me what they want to do right. and what they think uh, younger children want to do. And then it's my job to make it happen. So they work me hard on TV. Right. keep me very it. busy. <laughs> but um, again, I mean, it's just great work. Right. And them guys themselves, I mean, they've... They're doing, uh, during the summer now, we're linking on with a number of groups to deliver peer mentoring training in partnership with the Bogs and Brandeville Health Forum. Amazing. So they'll be getting an OCN, which is the equivalent of a degree at GCSE. And we're putting, finally getting the opportunity for me to put a theory to test that children learn better when they're outside, you know, cla- learn better, well, learn better than, uh, not, I'm not knocking classroom-based learning, but... I think, you know, using the horses, to, I think some of the topics is around boundaries and keeping yourself safe. So what better way to learn that than through being around horses where self-preservation's uh, like paramount. So you're taking notice and you're, you know, a certain boundaries in a non-verbal way. Uh. Um, so I think that it'll be exciting to kind of link classroom-based learning and theory and the practical application through nature and, and horses. So I'll keep you posted how that one goes. I might have to I shouldn't have said anything in case it goes. <laughs> 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 um, no, that's brilliant, Louise. You're a busy, busy woman by the sounds of things. Um, right, so what... Let's talk about Louise. And what, what do we do in order to look after yourself? I spend time with horses. People would think, well, you must be sick of them. But you know, at the end of the day, when everybody goes home... Like the yard itself, I mean, you've been up, Kevin, mm. and when the weather's beautiful in Ireland, I mean, there's nowhere better. No. We were supposed to go on holidays to Madrid at the end of last month, and the weather was nicer here, so I stayed at home. Nice. And I know, spent time with my horses, did some gardening, Lovely. 
Um, I just, I think the work that I do, it's so, like it has such meaning to me, so it doesn't really feel like work. Don't get me wrong, we're really busy sometimes. Um, but no, when you enjoy what you do, you don't, like I don't get like that stressed or anything. Sometimes it's stressful worrying about the sustainability as of an organisation, but the work and being around the horses, I mean, that's... Uh, it's where you want to be. It's where I want to be, yeah. Mm. And sharing that with other people. Beautiful. So, uh, it's nice. Good work. So how would one go about if they felt they were in need of the service? Mm-hmm. I know that they can they can be referred through our project, the Right Aye. Time, Right Place project. Is there mm-hmm. other ways that people can self-refer? Or? Um, at the minute, unfortunately no. not. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, Kevin. No. no. <laughs> and again, it comes down to money. Yeah. Like we just don't have yeah. the funding. We haven't had that sort of substantial investment yet to, to kind of inc- like, like do this on a grander scale. Um, and like I said, I'm a one-woman band, so there would need to be all our mm. echoing, uh, there would need to be more staff, you know, for a start, um, even in a supportive role, um, to really expand and, and grow the service. But as of yet, you know, it's, it's we're like a wee minnow, mm. you know, and it's a very small practice. And... Like during the winter, we had like postponements and stuff, so we're actually a bit behind schedule, yeah. um, and always chasing our tail for funding. So, um, as of yet, self referrals and stuff, you would be our main pathway through right. refer- a handful of hours, right. but we just can't offer our services out yet, which is really unfortunate. That is. So, right. mm. um. I think ideally, Louise, you know, in terms of the future, it would be great if somebody could just walk into their GP. Know, explain their problems and uh, for a GP to say there's a thing called equine therapy Aye. maybe we should give it a go or a place like I in my head equine therapy was always a place you know with equine therapy but there was all our sort of innovative non-talking therapeutics running simultaneously so it would be great if we had a place like somewhere locally where this could be you know there, there could be maybe another few of me clone myself and then <laughs> you know and this could be running as like you know within the community yeah and we've had a few opportunities over the years to kind of get our own premises mm. um and it's always kind of like red tip issues you know so it's not been for the want to try and to get somewhere where where equine therapy can be available for everybody you know in a more mainstream kind of way um, like I'm so lucky at the minute like this you've been to the stables where I'm at and we've really like landed on our feet going there um, but it would be great if like a, a full community could come together and have their own space mm. um, like there's one community place that I would have in mind you know if it ever gets developed yeah. and I would love to propose you know let's gather like minded people like myself and, and run this out at a you know a city wide you know level but as of yet a girl can dream but it sounds like when you dream louise you dream. make the dream come true so let's let's hope that that's what's Co- in the aye, future for equine i've been uh, we've been talking about it for a long time mm. like don't get me wrong i think if the opportunity did arise because i'm so happy where i'm at i think that i would i don't aye. think i would leave i think this <laughs> would have to be an addition because that's aye. like aye. that is my favorite place in the whole entire world aye. so there's no way i'm leaving there but to do something, to get something set up for all our people would be amazing, you know, and I would love to support that. So if anybody's listening... <laughs> um, Out of the three. <laughs> I know. 
Uh, but it would be great, imagine having like a, a really beautiful setting. I mean, there's loads of lovely places along the quay and stuff um, where there's terrible um, history of suicide and, you know, tragedy. So imagine having somewhere along there, you know, to kind of turn that narrative in its head and have somewhere for people to come when they are in crisis. So that's kind of one of my other wee uh, dreams amongst many other things. So I... We'll see. We'll see what happens. If it's meant to be, like everything, it's going to be. So, and I've learned to be very patient about my dreams because we think it's going to be a straight road from A to B. Ends up the alphabet five times and up and down Everest uh, a handful of times too. So, always seem to get there in the end. And I think whenever you align yourself with good work and you kind of stay true to your principles and values, and you've got a good support system around you, that you can't really go wrong. And honest critics as well, because it, it's terrible. And it's, oh, you're doing great, you're doing great. I love it when people go, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Um, and I have great people around me for that too. They do it in a supportive kind of way, not, <laughs> not a cut. No, what do I tell you? What, what do you hear this? Uh, but in a way that's kind of... So, Louise, we've, we've covered a queer wee bit there. Um, but it just leaves me that, that one question, I'm sure, that is burning through everybody's head, which is... Why horses? Um, everybody asks that. So people would say, why horses and, and not dogs? You know, why, why did you choose horses? Um, and I think horses, you really have to work at the relationship. And like I said earlier, no two horses are the same. So my relationship with Buddy is different from Aussie, different from LB. About like my friendships in the real world. Um, and we do kind of touch on that. Um, we look at horses that love in a herd. So they're like a family. Um, we're able to learn a lot from that family dynamic. Like we all have families. There can be problems with fun families, as in horses. Um, they're really non-judgmental creatures, so I can go up there. They don't care what car I'm driving, where I live, where I come from, what clothes I'm wearing, what my hair's like. They just accept me for me. And the more authentic and genuine we can be about ourselves, the more the horses accept us even more. And like they're such kind, like I said already, kind, gentle spirits. And while funny, you know, because they are wee characters and they have their own personalities, um, like there's nothing more funny than watching two horses, like horseplay. Right. Like that's where <laughs> it comes from, right. you know. Um, so lots of learning through observation and just really being a great friend, you know, and a, a confidant. You know, I've put my arms around Buddy many a time when I needed a hug and, you know, he's always there for me. So a great emotional support um, and you don't need to say a word they just know so um, I picks up on our energy so what we give to them they give back tenfold and the motto of our program is to be more horse <laughs> because of all them reasons you know um, they're just a great like learning partner beautiful mm. well Louise that's that's us practically done but uh. just before we go um, do you want to let us know where people can find out more about you and where, where you're available. Uh, so we do have a social media page. We're not very active on it because we love in the real world. Uh, we, we don't really... <laughs> and it's a great way, you know, to kind of showcase some of our stuff, you know, we, we grips um, and their achievements, you know, when they when they come and visit. So we do have a Facebook page. and I think we're on Instagram and Twitter too. Not very active. Right. The Northwest Spectrum have a Facebook page, as does Flip It. So any work of the Gas Yard Development Trust can be found on there. 
and equine enrichment uh, can be found as well. Louise, thanks very much, and you've been an amazing Pleasure. first guest. I know, first. <laughs> well, hopefully it's the first of many. Uh, first of many, definitely. Fingers crossed. Uh, Great. But thanks very oh, much. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having yeah. me. Thank you, Louise. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Community Soapbox. Make sure to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review if you can.